Section 26 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce, Part 2, The Odyssey, Episode 12, Cyclops, Part 4. And whereas on the sixteenth day of the month the oxide goddess in the third week after the feast day of the holy and undivided trinity, the daughter of the skies, the virgin moon being then in her first quarter, it came to pass that those learned judges repaired them to the halls of law. There Master Courtney, sitting in his own chamber, gave his reed, and Master Justice Andrews, sitting without a jury in the probate court, weighed well and pondered the claim of the first chargent upon the property in the matter of the well-propounded and final testamentary disposition in the real and personal estate of the late lamented Jacob Halliday, Vintner, deceased, versus Livingstone, an infant of unsound mind, and another. And to the solemn court of Green Street there came Sir Frederick de Falconer, and he sat him there about the hour of five o'clock to administer the law of the Brehens, at the commission for all that and those parts to be hidden in, and for the county of the city of Dublin. And there sat with him the high Sanhedrim of the twelve tribes of Ayr, for the, every tribe one man, of the tribe of Patrick, and of the tribe of Hugh, and of the tribe of Owen, and of the tribe of Con, and of the tribe of Oscar, and of the tribe of Fergus, and of the tribe of Finn, and of the tribe of Dermot, and of the tribe of Cormac, and of the tribe of Kevin, and of the tribe of Quilte, and of the tribe of Ushin, there being in all twelve good men and true. And he conjured them by him, who died on rude, that they should well and truly try and true deliverance make in the issue joined between their sovereign lord the king and the prisoner at the bar, and true verdict give according to the evidence, so help them God, and kiss the book. And they rose in their seats, those twelve of ire, and they swore by the name of him who is from everlasting, that they would do his right wiseness. And straightway the minions of the law led forth from their dungeon, keep one whom the sleuth-hounds of justice had apprehended, in consequence of information received. And they shackled him hand and foot, and would take of him Nebael, the main priest, but preferred a charge against him, for he was a malefactor. Those are nice things, says the citizen, coming over here to Ireland, filling the country with bugs. So Bloom lets on he heard nothing, and he starts talking with Joe, telling him he needn't trouble about that little matter till the first, but if he would just say a word to Mr. Crawford. And so Joe swore high and holy by this and by that he'd do the devil and all. Because you see, says Bloom, for an advertisement you must have repetition. That's the whole secret. Rely on me, says Joe. Swindling the peasants, says the citizen, and the poor of Ireland. We want no more strangers in our house. Oh, I'm sure that'll be all right, Hines, says Bloom. It's just at keys, you see. Consider that done, says Joe. Very kind of you, says Bloom. The strangers, says the citizen, our own fault, we let them come in, we brought them in, the adulteress, and her paramour brought the Saxon robbers here. The Queen Nisi, says J.J., 
and Bloom letting on to be awfully deeply interested in nothing, a spider's web in the corner behind the barrel, and the citizen scowling after him, and the old dog at his feet looking up to know who to bite and when. A dishonoured wife, says the citizen. That's what's the cause of all our misfortunes. And here she is, says Alf, that was giggling over the police gazette with Terry on the counter, in all her war paint. Give us a squint at her, says I. And what was it only one of the smutty Yankee pictures Terry borrows off Corny Keller? Secrets for enlarging your private parts? Misconduct of Society Bell. Norman W. Tupper, wealthy Chicago contractor, finds a pretty but faithless wife in lap of Officer Taylor. Bell in her bloomers misconducting herself, and her fancy man feeling for her tickles, and Norman W. Tupper bouncing in with his pea-shooter just in time to be late, after she's doing the trick of the loop with Officer Taylor. Oh, Jakers, Jenny, says Joe, how short your shirt is. There's hair, Joe, says I. Get a queer old tail end of corned beef off that one, what? So anyhow, in came John Wise Nolan and Lenehan with him, with a face on him as long as a late breakfast. Well, says the citizen, what's the latest from the scene of action? What did those tinkers in the city hall at their caucus meeting decide about the Irish language? O'Nolan, clad in shining armour, made obeisance to the puissant and high and mighty chief of all Erin, and did to him to wit of that which had befallen, how that the grave elders of the most obedient city, second of the realm, had met them in the Tulsa, and there, after due prayers to the gods who dwell in either supernal, had taken solemn counsel whereby they might, if so be it might be, bring once more into honour among mortal men the winged speech of the sea-divided gale. It's on the march, says the citizen, to hell with the bloody brute Sassenachs and their patois. So J.J. puts in a word, doing the toff about one story was good till you heard another, and blinking facts and a Nelson policy, putting your blind eye to the telescope and drawing up a bill of attainder to impeach a nation, and Bloom trying to back him up moderation and botheration and their colonies and their civilization. Their civilization, you mean, says the citizen. To hell with them. The curse of a good-for-nothing god light sideways on their bloody thick-lubbed sons of whores gets. No music and no art and no literature worthy of the name. Any civilization they have they stole from us. Tongue-tied sons of bastards, ghosts. The European family, says J.J., they're not European, says the citizen. I was in Europe with Kevin Egan of Paris. You wouldn't see a trace of them or their language anywhere in Europe except in a cabinet d'essence. And says John Wise, Full many a flower is born to blush unseen. And says Lenehan that knows a bit of the lingo, Conspoe les Anglais, perfide Albion. He said, and then lifted he in his rude, great, brawny, strengthy hands the meter of dark, strong, foamy ale, and, uttering his tribal slogan, Lom dare gabu, he drank to the undoing of his foes, a race of mighty, valorous heroes, rulers of the waves, who sit on thrones of alabaster, silent as the deathless gods. What's up with you, says I to Lenham. You look like a fellow who had lost a bob and found a tanner. Gold cup, says he. Who won, Mr. Lenahan, says Terry. Throw away, says he, a twenty to one, a rank outsider, and the rest nowhere. And base's mare, says Terry. Still running, says he. 
were all in a cart. Boylan plunged two quid on my tip sceptre for himself and a lady friend. I had half a crown myself, says Terry, on Zinfandel that Mr. Flynn gave me, Lord Howard de Walden's. Twenty to one, says Lenin, such is life in an outhouse. Throw away, says he, takes the biscuit and talking about bunions, frailty thy name is sceptre. So he went over to the biscuit tin Bob door and left to see if there was anything he could lift on the nod. The old core after him, back in his luck with his mangy snout up. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard. Not there, my child, says he. Keep your pecker up, says Joe. She'd have won the money only for the other dog. And J.J. and the citizen arguing about law and history with Bloom sticking in an odd word. Some people, says Bloom, can see the moat in others' eyes, but they can't see the beam in their own. Ramesh, says the citizen, there's no one as blind as the fellow that won't see, if you know what that means. Where are our missing twenty millions of Irish should be here today instead of four? Our lost tribes and our potteries and textiles, the finest in the whole world, and our wool that was sold in Rome in the time of Juvenal, and our flax and our damask from the looms of Antrim, and our limerick lace, our tanneries and our white flint glass down there by Ballybow, and our Huguenot poplane that we have since Jacquard de Leon, and our woven silk and our foxford tweeds and ivory raised point from the Carmelite convent in New Ross, nothing like that in the whole wide world. Where are the Greek merchants that came through the pillars of Hercules, the Gibraltar now grabbed by the foe of mankind, with gold and Tyrian purple to sell in Wexford at the fair of Carmen? Read Tacitus and Ptolemy, even Geraldus Cambrensis, wine, peltries, Connemara marble, silver from Tipperary, second to none, are far-famed horses even today, the Irish hobbies, with King Philip of Spain offering to pay customs duties for the right to fish in our waters? What do the yellow johns of Anglia owe us for our ruined trade and our ruined hearts? And the bed of the Barrow and Shannon they won't deepen with millions of acres of marsh and bog to make us all die of consumption. As treeless as Portugal will be soon, says John Wise, or Heligoland, with its one tree, if something is not done to reforest the land, larches, firs, all the trees of the conifer family are going forest. I was reading a report of Lord Castletown's. Save them, says the citizen, the giant ash of Galway and a chieftain elm of Kildare with a forty-foot bow and an acre of foliage. Save the trees of Ireland for the future men of Ireland on the fair hills of Era. Oh, Europe has its eyes on you, says Lenin. The fashionable international world attended en masse this afternoon at the wedding of the Chevalier Jean Wise de Nolan, Grand High Chief Ranger of the Irish National Foresters, with Miss Fur Conifer of Pine Valley, Lady Sylvester Elmshade, Mrs. Barbara Lovebirch, Mrs. Paul Ash, Mrs. Holly Hazelize, Miss Daphne Bays, Miss Dorothy Canebrake, Mrs. Clyde Twelve Trees, Mrs. Rowan Green, Mrs. Helen Vinegadding, Miss Virginia Creeper, Miss Gladys Beach, Miss Olive Garth, Miss Blanche Maple, Mrs. Maud Mahogany, Miss Myra Myrtle, Miss Priscilla Elderflower, Miss B. Honeysuckle, Miss Grace Poplar, Miss Omimosa San, 
Miss Rachel Cedarfrond, the Misses Lillian and Viola Lilac, Miss Timidity Aspinall, Miss Kitty Dewey Moss, Miss May Hawthorne, Miss Gloriana Palm, Miss Liliana Forrest, Mrs. Arabella Blackwood, and Mrs. Norma Hollyoke of Oak Home Regis graced the ceremony by their presence. The bride, who was given away by her father, the McConifer of the Glands, looked exquisitely charming in a creation carried out in green, mercerized silk, moulded on an underslip of gloaming grey, sashed with a yoke of broad emerald, and finished with a triple flounce of darker-hued fringe, the scheme being relieved by the bretelles and hip insertions of acorn bronze. The maids of honour, Miss Larch Conifer and Miss Spruce Conifer, sisters of the bride, wore very becoming costumes in the same tone, a dainty motif of plume rose being worked into the pleats in a pinstripe, and repeated capriciously in the jade-green toques, in the form of heron feathers, of pale-tinted coral. Signor Enrique Flor presided at the organ with his well-known ability, and in addition to the prescribed numbers of the nuptial mass, played a new and striking arrangement of woodmen, spare that tree at the conclusion of the service. On leaving the church of St. Fiacre in Horto after the papal blessing, the happy pair were subjected to a playful cross-fire of hazelnuts, beech-mast, bay-leaves, catkins of willow, ivy-tod, holly-berries, mistletoe-sprigs, and quicken-shoots. Mr. and Mrs. Wise Conifer Noulon will spend a quiet honeymoon in the Black Forest. And our eyes are on Europe, says the citizen. We had our trade with Spain and the French and with the Flemings before those Mongols were popped, Spanish ale in Galway, the wine bark on the wine dark waterway, and will again, says Joe. And with the help of Holy Mother God we will again, says the citizen, clapping his thigh. Our harbours that are empty will be full again. Queenstown, Kinsale, Galway, Black Sod Bay, Ventry in the Kingdom of Kerry, Killybags, the third largest harbour in the wide world, with a fleet of masts of the Galway Lynches and the Cavan O'Reillys and the Kennedys of Dublin, when the Earl of Desmond could make a treaty with the Emperor Charles V himself, and will again, says he, when the first Irish battleship is seen breasting the waves with her own flag to the fore. None of your Henry Tudor's harps, no, the oldest flag afloat, the flag of the province of Desmond and Thomond, three crowns on a blue field the three sons of Malsius. And he took the last swig out of the point, Maya, all wind and piss like a tankard cat. Cows in Connacht have long horns, as much as his bloody life is worth to go down and address his tall talk to the assembled multitude in Shannagolden, where he daren't show his nose with the Molly Maguires looking for him to let daylight through him for grabbing the holding of an evicted tenant. Here, here to that, says John Wise. What will you have? An imperial yeomanry, says Lenin, to celebrate the occasion. Half one, Terry, says John Wise, and a hand's up. Terry, are you asleep? Yes, sir, says Terry. Small whiskey and a bottle of allsop. Right, sir. Hanging over the bloody paper with Alf looking for spicy bits instead of attending to the general public. Picture of a butting match. 
trying to crack their bloody skulls, one chap going for the other with his head down like a bullet agate, and another one, black beast burned in Omaha, Georgia. A lot of deadwood dicks in slouch hats and they firing at a sambo strung up at a tree with his tongue out and a bonfire under him. Gob, they ought to drown him in the sea and after an electrocute and crucify him to make sure of their job. But what about the fighting navy, says Ned, that keeps our foes at bay? I'll tell you what about it, says the citizen. Hell upon earth it is. Read the revelations that's going on in the papers about flogging on the training ships at Portsmouth. The fellow writes that calls himself disgusted one and he starts telling us about corporal punishment and about the crew of tars and officers and rear admirals drawn up in cocked hats and the parson with his protestant bible to witness punishment and the young lad brought out howling for his ma and they tie him down on the butted end of a gun a rumpin doesn't say citizen was what that old ruffian sir john beresford called it but the modern god's englishman calls it caning on the breach and says john wise tis a custom more honoured in the breach than in the observance then he was telling us the master at arms comes along with a long cane and he draws out and he flogs the bloody backside off of the poor lad till he yells me la murder that's your glorious british navy says the citizen that bosses the earth the fellows that never will be slaves with the only hereditary chamber on the face of god's earth and their land in the hands of a dozen game hogs and cotton ball barons that's the great empire they boast about of drudges and whipped serfs on which the sun never rises says joe and the tragedy of it is says a citizen they believe it the unfortunate yahoos believe it they believe in rod the scourger almighty creator of hell upon earth and in jacky tar the son of a gun who was conceived of unholy boast born in the fighting navy suffered under rump and dozen was scarified flayed and curried yelled like bloody hell the third day he arose again from the bed, steered into heaven, sitteth on his beam-end till further orders, whence he shall come to drudge for a living and be paid. But, says Bloom, isn't discipline the same everywhere? I mean, wouldn't it be the same here if you put force against force? Didn't I tell you? As true as I'm drinking this porter, if he was at his last gasp, he'd try to downface you that die in his living. We'll put force against force, said the citizen. We have our greater Ireland beyond the sea. They were driven out of house and home in the black forty-seven. Their mud cabins and their sheathings by the roadside were laid low by the battering ram, and the times rubbed its hands and told the white-livered Saxons there would soon be as few Irish in Ireland as redskins in America. Even the Grand Turk sent us his piastres, but the Sassanach tried to starve the nation at home while the land was full of crops that the British hyenas bought and sold in Rio de Janeiro. Aye, they drove out the peasants in hordes. Twenty thousand of them died in the coffin ships, but those that came to the land of the free remember the land of bondage. And they will come again, and with a vengeance, no cravens, the sons of Granuel, the champions of Kathleen Nehulin. Perfectly true, says Bloom, but my point was... We are a long time waiting for that day, citizens, says Ned. Since the poor old woman told us that the French were on the sea and landed at Kilala, Aye, says John Wise, we fought for the royal Stuarts that reneged us against the Williamites and they betrayed us. Remember Limerick and the broken treaty stone? We gave our best blood to France and Spain, the wild geese. Fontenoy, eh? And Sarsfield and O'Donnell, the Duke of Tetuan in Spain, and Ulysses Brown of Camus that was field marshal to Maria Theresa. But what did we ever get for it? 
the French, says the citizen. Set of dancing masters. Do you know what it is? They were never worth a roasted fire to Ireland. Aren't they trying to make an endant cordial now at Taipei's dinner party with perfidious Albion? Firebrands of Europe, and they always were. Conspoil les Francais, says Lenin, nobbling his beer. And as for the Prussians and the Hanoverians, says Joe, haven't we had enough of those sausage-eating bastards on the throne from George the Elector down to the German lad and the flatulent old bitch that's dead? Jesus, I had to laugh at the way he came out with that about the old one and the winkers on her, blind drunk in her royal palace every night of God, old Vic, with her jaw-room of mountain dew and her coachman carting her up body and bones to roll her into bed and she pulling them by the whiskers and singing them old bits of songs about Aaron and the Rhine and come where the booze is cheaper. Well, says JJ, we have Edward the Peacemaker now. Tell that to a fool, says the citizen. There's a bloody sight more pox than pax about that boyo. Edward Guelph wedding. And what do you think, says Joe, of the holy boys, the priests and the bishops of Ireland doing up his room in Manus in his satanic majesty's racing colours, and stick it up pictures of all the horses his jockeys rode, the Earl of Dublin no less. They ought to have stuck up all the women he rode himself, says little Alf. And says J.J., considerations of space influenced their lordship's decision. Will you try another citizen, says Joe. Yes, sir, says he, I will. You, says Joe. Beholden to you, Joe, says I. May your shadow never grow less. Repeat that dose, says Joe. Bloom was talking and talking with John Wise, and he quite excited with his dun-duckety mud-coloured mug on him and his old plum-eyes rolling about. Persecution, says he, all the history of the world is full of it, perpetuating national hatred among nations. But do you know what a nation means, says John Wise? Yes, says Bloom. What is it, says John Wise? A nation, says Bloom. A nation is the same people living in the same place. By God, ten says Ned, laughing. If that's so, I'm a nation, for I'm living in the same place for the past five years. So, of course, everyone had to laugh at Bloom. And says he trying to muck out of it, or also living in different places. That covers my case, says Joe. What is your nation, if I may ask, says the citizen. Ireland, says Bloom. I was born here, Ireland. The citizen said nothing, only cleared the spit out of his gullet, and gob he spat a red bank oyster out of him right in the corner. After you with the push, Joe, says he, taking out his handkerchief to swab himself dry. Here you are, citizen, says Joe. Take that in your right hand and repeat after me the following words. The much-treasured and intricately embroidered ancient Irish face-cloth attributed to Solomon of Droma and Manus Tamaltak Og Macdonough, authors of the Book of Ballymote, was then carefully produced and called forth prolonged admiration. No need to dwell on the legendary beauty of the corner pieces, the acme of art wherein one can distinctly discern each of the four evangelists in turn, presenting to each of the four masters his evangelical symbol, a bog oak scepter, a North American puma, a far nobler king of beasts than the British article, be it said in passing, a Kerry calf, and a golden eagle from Carantuhill. The scenes depicted on the emunctory field, showing our ancient duns and rats, and cromlechs and greenons, and seats of learning, and maledictive stones, 
are as wonderfully beautiful and the pigments as delicate as when the Sligo illuminators gave free rein to their artistic fantasy long, long ago in the time of the Barmecides, Glendalough, the lovely lakes of Killarney, the ruins of Clonmacnoise, Cong Abbey, Glenina and the Twelve Pins, Ireland's Eye, the green hills of Talla, Crockpatrick, the brewery of Messrs Arthur Guinness, Son and Company Limited, Lochnay's Banks, the Vale of Avoca, Isolde's Tower, the Mappus Obelisk, Sir Patrick Dunn's Hospital, Cape Clear, the Glen of Aherlow, Lynch's Castle, the Scotch House, Rathdown Union Workhouse at Lachlanstown, Tullamore Jail, Castle Collow Rapids, Kilbally MacShunakil, the Cross at Monaster Boyce, Jury's Hotel, St. Patrick's Purgatory, the Salmon Leap, Maynooth College Refectory, Curley's Hole, the three birthplaces of the first Duke of Wellington, the Rock of Cashel, the Bog of Allen, the Henry Street Warehouse, Fingal's Cave. All these moving scenes are still there for us today, rendered more beautifully still by the waters of sorrow which have passed over them and by the rich incrustations of time. End of section 26